Welcome to 90% Mental. I'm your host, Graham Parr, and thank you for joining us for our 23rd episode. In about two months or so, the Winter Olympics are going to be here, and I can't wait for the Olympics just because it's probably a good time for the Olympics for our country, considering the dynamics that are that we're witnessing right now. But what the Olympics do is bring everybody together, and it brings the spirit of our country together. And I can't wait for the Winter Olympics to be here in February. And today, my guest is Asia Evans, who is a bronze medalist for the women's bobsled team. And we're going to talk about her Olympian mindset. How did she go from track and field to the sport of bobsledding? What did it take for her to train her butt off and to get in a position to to win a medal? One of the things that I can take away from my conversation with Asia is that you're going to hear grace, you're going to hear humility, you're going to hear a lot of love about family, you're going to hear perseverance, you're going to hear about how she overcame adversity, and how she just kept her mind focused and realized that nobody can beat her but herself. So she has got this warrior mindset, Olympian mindset that I can't wait for all of you to hear. So let's go talk to Asia. Hey Asia, how are you? I'm doing well, how are you? I'm doing great, and I'm so excited to have you on my show, and I really appreciate you making time to uh, not only share your thoughts and your journey as an Olympian within the sport of bobsledding, but just kind of sharing your mindset from from a training perspective, also when you're in competition, you know, at the Olympic level. So I'm I'm really excited to have you on my show. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited to be here. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, before I get into my show, I always ask all my guests, "What does mentally tough mean to them?" So within your sport, what does mentally tough mean to you? Well, I think mental, like like your show says, is pretty much 90% of everything. Like, especially when it comes to competition and actually performing on race day. Um, so I think mentally tough to me is having a certain confidence about yourself and believing in all the training and the hard work you've put in to get to that point and trusting it to take you where you want to go, you know, when it's go time or race day. I think you're not going to get any faster or any slower or, or anything on that specific day when it's time to go. And I think that uh, having that confidence and, and that mental aspect really helps give you the edge to kind of bring everything to fruition and, and pull it all together. Beautiful, beautiful. Now, how did you get into bobsledding? I, I know that you know, you've had a collegiate career in track and field. How did you make that transition? Well, I think for the bobsled, um, it is like a transition sport. People don't really grow up doing it. So most of the athletes that uh, do the sport come from like track and field, football, softball, lacrosse, like all these power sports. And they look for, uh, in the sport of bobsled, they look for athletes that have that power, that speed, and that explosiveness to kind of get the sled going from like zero to 100. And so my coach told me about the sport when I was in college. It was like my senior year back in 2010. And he was telling me about the sport of bobsled, and honestly, like, I had no, you know, idea that I had potential in the sport because Cool Runnings was literally, like, my top five favorite movies, so that's all I knew <laughs> about when it came to the sport of bobsled. Like, I'm just being honest. And so um, he started telling me about athletes like Vanetta Flowers and, and, and stuff like that who did track and field or other sports and kind of was able to pursue their Olympic dreams on a, in a different, entirely different sport. And at the time, I grew up doing track and field, so I just thought that, you know, all my Olympic dreams were going to be accomplished through that sport. But once I kind of didn't pursue it on a professional level 
and took some time off. I missed being an athlete. Something was killing me inside. And so that's kind of when Bobsleck came into play. I was doing all this research really late at night one night and um, went and tried out in Lake Placid, and it's been history ever since. Beautiful. <laughs> and have you always had a, an Olympic dream? I definitely think I had um, an Olympic dream. I always saw myself like, accomplishing so many amazing things. I mean, I grew up idolizing people like Jackie Joyner Kersey. In high school, we went to um, the JJK relays every uh, year in East St. Louis. And she always had all these, the night before the race, she always had all these amazing Olympians come in and talk to us. And so I was always so driven and and inspired by their stories and, and seeing how like they were from places I was from, I was from and, and they stuck with it and they kind of pursued and did all these things. But I think it wasn't until like my sophomore year of college when I was at the University of Illinois and I qualified for the 2008 Olympic trials as a thrower. And so to, to know that like as a sophomore in college, I was qualified to like be at the, like, you know, to make the Olympic team and, and try and beat, go to the Olympic games. Just, just that alone kind of gave me a new sense of, you know, what my goals were before. I mean, I was a kid kind of growing up and doing sports. And, and I think that I started taking it on a more serious note once I made it to the 2008 Olympic trials for Team USA. And I was competing against all the top athletes in the country. And I was like, oh, man, like, imagine what would happen if I, like, really, really, really put my all into this. And so that's when I kind of got more adamant about my goals and, and trying to do big things. Now, it seems like, you know, from your collegiate career and also through your, your Olympic career, it seems like you are super competitive. Where do, you, where do you get that competitive spirit? Where does it come from? I definitely get the competitive spirit from my family. Um, I come from a, a, a big array of athletes. My mom ran track. My father was a swimmer. My brother played in the NFL for eight years. And then both my uncle and cousin had extensive major league baseball careers. And so like, it's been in my blood since <laughs> before I was born. <laughs> right. And um, I just think my participation in sports, even though my participation in sports on a serious level didn't start into my freshman year of high school, uh, I grew up going to everybody's games and supporting all my family. So I was always admiring like my brother, how he went from water polo and swimming to football and back and forth. And then my uncle, we were Cubs girls. We went to every Cubs game, every Cubs convention, you know, got to miss school, go to Disney World with them. So I've always been in that in that world and, and growing up with an older brother and a younger sister who also happened to do sports. Like we were just competitive, whether it was eating or like racing down the street to, to see who could get to the car faster. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and mind you, I raced my brother once to get to the car and whoever got to the car first gets to sit in the front seat and I won and he ripped his pants trying to race me so that was like the last time he ever tried to do that <laughs> oh naturally that's great <laughs> <laughs> well you know as far as your sport educate my listeners uh, on a little bit on what it entails to to be an athlete in a sport and I and I know the obvious the obvious is you know get in the sled and get the fastest time but kind of you know walk us through a little bit a little bit more about your sport yeah, so the sport, it's a it's kind of a, a racing sport. Um, essentially, like, my position as a brakeman is mainly in the start of the race, even though it's called a brakeman. I mean, that comes into play once we pass the finish line and I pull 
the brakes, which is like this big claw that grips the ice and kind of slows us down. But um, my whole part of the process is to get the sled going as fast as possible and give the driver all the speed and velocity they need going into the track. And then from there on, I'm kind of like hanging out in the back, praying and just keeping good energy going while the driver or the pilot steers it down. And so each track throughout the world is very different and unique and they're all roughly around a mile long in distance and um we can reach speeds over 80 miles an hour i think the fastest i've ever gone uh was in whistler canada that's arguably one of the like fastest tracks in the world and if you have the right weather conditions you're going well over 90 so we were like i think the fastest i went there was like 92 93 miles an hour wow and so um i know right no seatbelt (laughs) but um yeah with our sport you deal with a lot of gravity and g-forces and so it's all about finesse and and finding the most efficient line through the track and and you know trying to race time wow now that's awesome I, you just kind of i would visually you were taking me through it <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. i'm like going like 92 miles an hour with no seatbelt i'm like wow yeah <laughs> well and it's crazy i mean in a brakeman's position i'm kind of spread out like reaching across uh, in the back and I'm just looking at my knees and stuff so it's so many unknowns for me I mean granted we have amazing pilots on our team and I completely trust them but like you know I'm feeling the wind I'm hearing noises feeling the pressure from the gravity we're pulling four or five g's uh in certain spots throughout the track and then also like you know if they've had rough areas or areas that they they, they were looking to improve like I'm back there trying to see if we're like you know, going, if it's like we're going fast or if it's a smooth ride. And so I'm kind of just back there in my own thoughts for like the entire 50 something seconds I'm in the sled until we kind of come up once we pass the finish line and the, and I can see my coaches, hopefully they're holding up the number one finger, which means we're currently in first. Um, <laughs> and you know, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I mean, and so you're, you're in, you're in the sled, are you focusing on your breath at all? Are you, you know, are you thinking of, of just happy thoughts or are you just kind of like, where's your mindset during that, that period? Yeah, I think um, I had to train myself to be a little counterintuitive. Like when you, if you were thinking about like, if you were in a car and you knew you were about to get in a car crash or hit something, you would kind of tense up. And in the sport, there's areas sometimes in tracks where you may need to tap a wall or you need to train yourself to be as flexible and relaxed as possible. Even if you have an impact, you have to kind of exhale and and relax and kind of absorb it like a shock absorber, because if you tighten up too much, then you can potentially make the sled skid and, and all these things. So I had to teach myself to stay relaxed and just breathe and kind of trust that everything's going to work out. So, you know, I (laughs) found a newfound faith and myself and the pilots and this sport, because it's hard. You, we don't really have much control after we hop in. And so the best thing I can do is stay nice and relaxed, control my breathing. And just, you know, if we have any taps or hits, kind of take that in, absorb it and get back into position. I try not to move around too much in the back of the sled. Cause again, I don't want to do any crazy movements to make it skid or anything. Going like, you know, over 80 miles an hour and the drivers are making like, split second decisions of like if they go an inch higher if that will make them you know more efficient through a curve or a high line and all that stuff so you know I'm trying not to make it their job any harder well and, and what part of the process when you're going through the track what's the most important part of the process is it the start is it getting into the sled like what's the most important part 
Well, I think it's it's a combination. Um, this sport has gotten so competitive that now the start is super crucial. Like no one's going to win at the Olympic Games or any of the races leading up to the Olympic Games and not have the fastest start or the top fastest start. It's just not possible. We're way too competitive at the start. And if, if you see anybody who wins, they usually have the fastest start or one of the top three. And I think also driving comes into play. Like in the past, uh, drivers may have not had the fastest start, but they can, you know, they're so experienced with driving and, and having the best equipment that they can find the most efficient ways through the track and, and make up time. But now they kind of both go hand in hand. So you need the start as well as a good, clean run down the track. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Now, when you're talking about your driver, how important is it to have a solid relationship with your partner? I think having a solid relationship with your driver is the most important part of the whole dynamic. Because if they're stressed and, and worried about things it, just, things, it just takes away from their performance and all the, the things they have to think about down the track. So my job as a brakeman is to kind of help alleviate that as much as possible. Like, I'm, you know, I learned to read the drivers and and see if I feel like something's wrong or if it's something I can do to help make their job a little easier and stress-free, whether it be something with the sled or or something they may need personally. Um, We kind of become a family. At the beginning of the season, you're kind of thrown into a mix where it's like nine women, you know, you may or may not necessarily would have got along with if you didn't have to do the sport. And we're around each other 24-7, literally bouncing from country to country. And so it can be overwhelming, but through that process, you kind of become a family and you kind of learn each other and, you know, see what the strengths are, what the weaknesses are, how to read your driver and give them the confidence they need to kind of pull everything together through the through the uh, track. And what do, what do you think makes your bond special with your driver? I think what makes our bond special is the mutual, mutual respect and trust. Uh, I feel like the driver trusts me to give them all I have at the start. And in return, I trust them with getting me down the track safe and sound and fast. And so uh, I think it's a confidence boost both ways. Uh, I pride myself in, in my ability to have the fastest start and, and to be one to be one of the top brakemen in the world. And so I think that confidence alone helps give the driver confidence in their performance and getting down the track because, you know, if we, none of us really know what our start times are or what the times are going through the track until we pass the finish line. So I think if they, if they have me in their sled, it's kind of like a little confidence boost and then it works both ways. And so um, I definitely think uh, we kind of help each other out. Beautiful. Awesome. Now, with regards to your mindset, you know, I've watched a lot of uh, film on you and Mm-hmm. Walk me through, like, what what is your mindset like when you're when you're at the starting? I guess you could call it the starting gate or at the start line, because mm-hmm. there's a or, lot of yeah, yeah. So walk me through that. Like, what's going through your mind? So leading up to when we walk out to the starting block, we um we're kind of getting in the zone. Usually, like the drivers paying attention to who's up next and and the order. And so when it's like two people ahead of us, we start getting ready. I start putting my helmet on. Uh, my gloves and making sure my uniform and everything is straight. Then we kind of pace them a little back and forth, staying warm. And the driver may do mind runs. Um, so they do a lot of visualization and kind of, uh, you know, visualizing what it's like to go through a curve the correct way and, and all these different things. So you'll kind of see them spinning around and moving their arms and stuff like as if they're driving the sled. And then um, 
once it's go time, we kind of give each other a good head nod, kind of smack hands, and we walk outside. Once we get outside, I think that's when I kind of almost go blank. Like it's it's I get in so much of a zone that I rarely hear noises. I kind of it kind of slows down, which is crazy for me. I just you know my heart starts to beat really really fast, and and you know I get really anxious and ready to go and um leading up to the starting block we start taking off our our uh, warm-ups and stuff and then the coaches are flipping over the sled and putting it on ice and getting ready for us to to go and at that moment all I really see is my driver and the and the sled and the ice in front of us we touch hands and I kind of get in position on the starting block and and I'm in position and the driver kind of slides down on the side on the left side of me then I say set to signal that I'm ready to go she puts up her hand and then I hit the sled, which kind of initiates the movement. And then we kind of push and give it our all until I see the driver jump in. Then I jump in right behind her. And then that's when I kind of exhale, kind of relax and, and just hold on for the ride. I think um, usually when by the time I jump in the sled, I can't recall how my run was because I don't know. I think I just go blank <laughs> during the run part. <laughs> but, um, you know, in the back of the sled, all I can do is kind of just try and stay relaxed, stay in the moment. You know, I'm trying to give good vibes. Like, hopefully I don't hear a curse or, or you know, get a- upset at a turn. Um, if we happen to have any impacts, like a little tap in a curve or hit, uh, I try and just, you know, take it in, exhale, then inhale again and get back in position. Um, if I have to move or anything, I usually do that in the curve because the G-force is pushing us down that you won't really waver too much. And then, yeah, wait until we pass the finish line. And then hopefully the coaches are holding up the number one finger and I broke a star record. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's beautiful to hear you know, the whole getting into zone and flow. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when I'm working with athletes, I always I always let them know before they compete. It's like get locked in. You know, there's there's definitely a process, which you were talking about. But you know, yeah. go through your pro- your process or your routine, lock in and then let go. And it seems like that's what you do. Yeah. You, as soon as you get in the sled, you just <laughs> you just let it go mm-hmm. and, and let it rip. You you talked about visualizing your performance. How much do you practice that when you're, you know, let's say off the track or on the track? I mean, how yeah. how much do you how much do you practice? Uh, I, well, the drivers do it a lot more than the brakeman. I think with me, it's so many things uh, with my form and my technique with hitting the sled, which again, is that like movement to get the sled going. And so many things I have to kind of tune into that can like make me really fast or just kind of like kind of fast. And so um, a lot of the times, like if you see me doing warm ups or on random days, like I'll kind of get in that position and kind of zone in and and feel it and um I think that really helps me a lot of times before we're about to compete uh my driver and I will do a cadence where we'll kind of go through our setup for the start of the race and get in position and everything and I'll act like I'm hitting the sled and then we'll take off and sprint and so all of that helps us to stay in that moment and kind of focus on what it's going to feel like because I'm one of those athletes where I have to put all the mental effort and energy into training with as far as like paying attention to different like aspects, whether it be angles or my speed behind the sled or this and that. And then when I get time, when it gets time for me to compete, that's when I'm able to kind of zone out and just, 
go. Like, I don't want to have to focus on certain aspects. I kind of let go and just do whatever's going to, whatever I'm going to do. And so, um, I put a lot more time and mental energy into the whole process leading up the days leading up to the race. And then when it's go time, you know, I let that go and I just give it all I got. Beautiful. Beautiful. I, I love it when, mm-hmm. obviously, when I played uh, sports, when I played football, I mean, many times mm-hmm. in my life, I, I was in or experienced zone and flow and peak performance. But yeah. it's, it's also really cool to see when you're watching athletes in the zone, whether it's Michael Phelps or if it's Michael Jordan, like the athletes that just get into it really quick. So it's, it's kind of a, it's a really neat experience. Yeah, I think it's cool. And I, and I, and I admire so many different athletes and how they get in their zone. Um, one thing I like to do when it's preparing for a race and, and warming up leading up to that race is I wear like headphones and I kind of blast my music so I don't hear anything else. But I do pay attention to other athletes and, and I kind of like read them sometimes. It's fun uh, because you can see when you take out like the outside noises, you can kind of see the expressions in their face, like the confidence or the lack of confidence or the stress or if they're worried or or different things and how they get into the zone. And I I always like watching athletes sometimes um, and see like what their signals are and, and compare them to like mine and stuff like that. Awesome. Yeah. I I call reading the defense, man. You're, you're kind of, yeah, you're you're scouting before (laughs) you, (laughs) if I feel like they're kind of like a little nervous, I go do a warm up right next to them or something. (laughs) There you go. But um, (laughs) You know, gotta be, strategic and do some game planning before we race but uh, no I think um the beauty in our sport is the mental aspect and how like you can win or lose a race in our sport by the by hundreds of a second so you're never really certain and uh, and the most you can do is have that confidence and that belief in yourself and I think as brakemen our job is to help instill that in the drivers and give them everything and anything they need to kind of get down as fast and safe and efficient as possible awesome Awesome. Now you talked about music. What what do you listen to in your headphones? Mm-hmm. Well, it's a progression for me throughout the day on race day. I think in the mornings, uh, if we race like later in the afternoon or something, I kind of start my day. I want to be like in a grateful spirit and good energy. So it's usually like some gospel music or some R and B jams, like some old school music where I can like sing my heart out and just <laughs> not care about anything. There you go. <laughs> and then as I get yeah, as I get closer to race time the tempo changes a little bit and when it's warm up it's more like it's not even about the lyrics for me it's more so about the beat and the energy i feel from the music so like it's more like rap music hip-hop like stuff with a lot of high intensity beats where i can just kind of zone out and um and you know get and do what i need to to get ready so it's like almost like my on my own personal soundtrack with like theme music at that time but it's only really you i usually use certain playlists when i warm up for competition or training or something like that yeah when you know it's funny when i was 10 years old all the way up to my very last football game in college i listened to the mm-hmm. same band every single day <laughs> and and yeah. i listened to other stuff but it, it, i wouldn't feel right if i didn't listen to the music so it kind of uh-huh. you know i know i listened to this one song like repeated repeatedly uh before i right before i go out to push because it was just the latest song every year it's pretty much a different song or whatever i'm feeling 
But, um, yeah, it's just that that certain energy you get from hearing that music and you're able to zone in. So I don't really hear the words outside of, like, the chorus and the catchy parts, but, like, it just kind of fits to my mood and, and helps prepare me for when I take my headphones off and put my helmet on. I'm kind of still listening to that music in my head as I kind of walk outside and get ready to go. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Now, switching to the Olympics, what was it like in 2014 when you won the bronze? Uh, it was <laughs> when I actually came across the finish line and won that bronze medal or knew we secured a medal. Uh, it was the biggest sigh of, of relief ever. Like, I don't even know if I was necessarily happy about the medal. I was just happy it was over. Like, <laughs> so much went into into that one moment. And, I mean, I don't know if you read anything or if you saw anything. Like, originally that year, I had been siding with the number one driver uh, at the time. And at the Olympic Games, a week before we were ready to compete for the Olympic medal, they switched me to the number two sled and moved the number two brakeman up to to uh, the number one sled. So, you know, when they when they kind of make you feel like they're grooming you to be this gold medal team and to do this and that and then switch it at the last minute, it kind of sucks. And and I think this sport has taught me so much about myself and helped me grow as a person more so than an athlete. And I think that when that did happen to me at the Olympics, I had like one or two choices. It was to either like be upset, let it consume me, and then just completely flop or, you know, take the power back into my own hands and and pull something off. And I talked to my driver at the time, Jamie, and, and we both made the decision to do it for ourselves, and we went out there and won bronze. So, like, that was the most – like, I know bronze is third, whatever, but you would have thought I won gold um, <laughs> with the feelings I had after all the crap I had been through that week and leading up into that race. So it was definitely – an amazing feeling and sigh of relief. Um, I think one of the best parts about it was I had my entire family down there. And, you know, I spoke about my brother playing in the NFL for eight years. So for him to be at the Olympic Games cheering me on, it was the craziest feeling for him because it's usually the opposite. Like, he came to track meets and stuff. But for some reason, like, the football players consider the Olympics to be like bigger than the Super Bowl, and I'm like, what? You guys are crazy. <laughs> but you know, they really look at the things that I've accomplished as like amazing, and so it's really cool to. I think uh, it was like a video of me hopping out the sled as soon as we passed the finish line. The first person I saw was my brother, and he was like right there, and I gave him this big high five, and he, we both knew what that meant. It wasn't so much. It was like you did it, like you know, like. <laughs> You know, because he knew what I had been through with all of that. So uh, to pull that off and, and really pull it all together and come through with it, uh, it was a big moment for me. And I think once I actually got the medal put around my neck the next day, like, that's when the reality set in. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like, I really just won an Olympic medal. <laughs> that's when it was like, that's when reality kicked in. Now, do you have a pretty good bond with your brother? Yeah, my brother and I, my whole family... My sister and my brother, um, we're all really close. I think growing up and watching him do sports and him watching me do sports, we used to always text each other when we had a, when I had a race or if, I, if he had a game. And we do this thing where, like, we was like, before emojis came out, I was like, I was, send, I was sending him juice, like the energy, good vibes and stuff. And I put, like, a whole bunch of, like, asterisks plus awesome. all different symbols and stuff kind of to symbolize me giving him all the energy and the stuff he needs to kind of, 
get through his game and, and ball out. And so he used to do the same thing for me. <laughs> and um, to have that support from, you know, all these people I used to look up to, like my brother and my uncle and stuff, and who done such amazing thing in, things in sports was a crazy feeling for me. I never felt like I had to prove something. It was just like, I'm just trying to be down with them. Like, And what's crazy is they thought everything I was doing was far beyond what anything they've ever accomplished. So it was, it was a really good feeling. <laughs> awesome. Now, mm-hmm. now with that feeling, is was there a difference in when you won the world or bronze world champion, the bronze world championship in 2017 or this year? Was there a difference in feeling? Oh, then the Olympic bronze, yeah, it was definitely a different feeling. That just felt like, um, like bronze. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if that makes any sense. Yeah. Like, at World Champs, um, Jamie and I were coming for that that number one spot. And uh, so I felt like, you know, granted it was my first world championship medal, um, but we wanted gold. And, and I don't think either one of us had a problem with admitting that. And so... It, it it was a fight from the first race down to the last one. And so um, we all won. A bronze through gold was all within hundreds of each other. So um, it was definitely a different feeling. And I think that, like, going into this next Olympic Games, I would be very honored to win any Olympic medal, but I'm definitely going for gold. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Yeah. Well, what was it like when in 2013 when you were uh, rookie of the year when you when you got that accolade were you like all right this is I mm-hmm. think I'm, I'm heading the right direction? Yeah, that's exactly what that feeling felt like um, because this sport is so crazy. You, it's no real way to get your feet wet in the sport of boxing. You kind of come in and you have to learn through trial and error and and you have to learn from mistakes and you have to learn from the people who spot you're essentially trying to take so like I had to learn from veteran brakemen who I was trying to beat in some you know aspects so it was hard like I come from a different uh sports background and with track and field it's not exactly like that and so um to come in this sport wanting to dominate and not having any experience is kind of it sounds crazy even saying that out loud but that's the feeling I had coming into the sport of boxing so when I got rookie of the year and you know started doing some good things then I was like okay it is actually possible like you're not crazy <laughs> <laughs> awesome. awesome. <laughs> now when you go into competing right obviously you want to go for the gold mm-hmm. and so whether whether if it's for the Olympics for the world championships is your mindset yeah. is your mindset to to win the gold to win or is it just to focus on improving and learning well, I think um, this past season has been a season for me to focus on improving and learning. And I think that, you know, leading up to the Olympic Games, it's about improving and learning for the Olympics, but we want to win. And I think with the Canada being the reigning gold medalist for two years in a row, two winter games in a row, we're all out for it. And I think that's the beauty in, in Team USA is, like, I feel like our our team has the biggest competition. We're our biggest, like, competitors and cheerleaders. So so it's, it's, it's an interesting dynamic because one minute we're, like, ready to beat each other in the race, and then the next minute we're, like, cheering each other on. So I think our two top drivers are 
the best in the world. And, you know, it's going to be very interesting to see kind of who pulls off the gold, but we're all within like arm's distance of it. And it's made the best man win, I guess. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> great. Great. What do you think your, your strengths and weaknesses are as an athlete in this sport? Um, well, I think one of my strengths and weaknesses at the same time can be my attitude. Uh, I can be very stubborn or, you know, see things one way. And, and that is what has helped me to get to the level, uh, I have in sports and, and achieve the things that I've had, but it's also like not the best when it comes to team sports and, and dealing with teammates and other opinions and having to hear things out. So that's something I've learned to work on throughout this whole process and understanding people and, and their opinions and, and taking that for what it is versus just seeing things one way and, and feeling like it's the only way. Um, I think uh, one of my strengths that I'm really proud about is my confidence and, and how far I've come as a as an athlete, as a woman, and, and the presence and platform I have right now. I feel like I'm stronger than ever and and that I don't really give people the opportunity to tell me who I am or what I can and cannot do. I kind of took that power back, and and now I feel like the sky's the limit for me. Whatever I want to go after, I can make happen. I love it. And, you know, again, do, doing, a, doing a lot of, you know, research, you, you can tell that in your in your body language, you know, you are, mm -hmm. you feel like, you know, this, this time is now and, and you're, and you're relishing in it and you're, you're very confident in what you say. And, you know, there's, there's many mm -hmm. media platforms of, you know, that you've been on where you're talking about your journey and just, uh, yeah, you seem like you're very humbled and very appreciative of it. Yeah, I am. I think it's, it's definitely, it's one of those things where like, I don't necessarily need to go back in time and experience some of the things that I've had, but I think it's completely shaped where I am and, and who I am now. And I don't take any of that for granted. Well, as far as strengths, what about your power? I mean, your, your strength and power is like, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, uh... yeah, like from a physical standpoint, it's so funny because like, usually I train with like all all men like NFL players literally in the off season our off seasons are the same so I train with like all NFL guys and it's me and them and it's so funny to them because they like like I'm literally almost one of the guys in those moments I'm not a girl out there hanging out trying to keep up with the boys like no it goes hand in hand and so they always used to laugh and say I'm not human I was like genetically modified at birth <laughs> because <laughs> because I'm able to do so many crazy powerful things and so, um, you know, that kind of gave me a little confidence boost. But hanging out with the boys, I think, kind of gave me a, a mental advantage, especially going into bobsled, because you had to have your head on straight to deal with all this stuff in the sport and, and the unknowns. And so to watch them train with each other, and then these are essentially guys they go against every Sunday hard and, and to, to, like, work hard or, and compete against each other at times, then at the same time, cheer each other on and, and help them if they're getting tired or, you know, like make them man up. I think that was cool. Like there was no <laughs> excuses when you were with the boys, uh, you keeping up or you not with them at all. And so um, 
I think that made me a lot stronger mentally more so than physically. I think physically, um, just from hanging with them and, and doing some of those workouts and the crazy stuff I, I pride myself in, like my box jumps or squats and stuff, that gave me, uh, you know, a lot of power going into the sport. I think my physical and athletic, athletic uh, attributes kind of helped me to reach a certain level in the sport from jump. And then once I started learning more and, and you know, getting my feet wet, it kind of then I started to grow more and peak as a bobsledder versus just like a freak athlete in the sport of bobsled or something like that. Well, for my listeners out there, I want them to go to YouTube and I want them to check out <laughs> your box jump. Cause like literally yeah. there was one, I'm like, wow, was that like six feet? Or I mean, like you can jump over a, a house. So uh, <laughs> I mean, you, you can box jump. And yeah. you know, it's funny, your, your trainer, uh, Jacob Ross, he was saying that uh-huh. as far as like your mindset, when it comes to training, like you love pushing the limits and you just, you never really tap out. You just keep on going. Yeah. Where does that come from? I'm yeah, one I, of those, I think, um, my mom raised me to be so strong. Like I admire so much about my mother and, and how she raised all of us, even my brother and I to reach such professional, uh, sports careers and and I think that was instilled in me for a very long time like it's so funny um after the last Olympics I went back to track and field because I just felt like I wanted to see how far I've come as an athlete with everything I've accomplished and how much I've grown mentally and physically so I felt like going back to track would be a way for me to gauge that journey and that progress and so um unfortunately uh I tore my ACL in a hurdle incident because I was training as a heptathlete and after I tore it I we didn't realize the severity of it so I didn't get an MRI he just kind of did lockness tests and some other stuff and the way the incident happened I had a lot of bone bruising so we thought that's where everything was coming from and so for like two months literally I was trying to train on it the entire two months I was like by a month out I was back to doing my full workouts and stuff but when it came to shot put which is one of the multi-events uh they were trying to turn me into a spinner and I couldn't do a lot of those things and that's when we realized something was really wrong got an MRI and my knee was over 90 percent torn and so uh, Dr. James Andrews was who performed my uh ACL surgery and he's known for you know amazing athletes like Derrick Rose and Javon you know all the cool athletes that get their ACLs torn <laughs> and so um <laughs> Right. He he was joking. He was like, I can tell you're a knucklehead, like, because he saw the MRI and he was, and that MRI was taken two, two months after the initial tear. And he was like, it's no way you should have been able to train at the level you were like, um, with this damage done. And I was like, I don't know. I was just, uh, to me, if I couldn't walk and my leg was like falling off on the ground or something, then maybe I would have known something was wrong, but I kind of, I'm used to pushing the limits and, and really challenging myself until I, I can't anymore. So, so awesome. that's how that went. <laughs> awesome. Well, and you talked about your mother, you know, teaching you how to be st- a strong woman mm-hmm. or a woman. What, who, who's your mentor in your life? Well, I, I have a lot, honestly, I think I have like a lot of mentors. My mom and my brother have been, uh, mentors for me just growing up I mean my mom's the one that knows anything and everything about me and, and you know she's like the only person that still loves me who I know will still love me despite my faults but I've had mentors in my life from you know back home who who just 
really big businessman and, and he I could just talk to him about just life and it's you know I have mentors like that I have mentors and my nutritionist who uh helps me with all my diets and, and my nutrition so I can sustain a healthy weight throughout this whole process but most of the time we're talking about the ins and outs of the sport and and my my trainer my strength and conditioning trainer Jacob I feel like anytime you ask me how I'm feeling it's not even so much a physical level it's more like mental like where your head at type of level and I think that's what makes me the person I am is having so many people in my life that genuinely care and it's not just because uh they they're supposed to care or they're supposed to be in my life for this one thing I think um they genuinely care about me as a person and where I'm at and so uh I don't really have just one mentor it's kind of like a team of them oh that's awesome that's great yeah well I have one more question, but it's I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna switch the mindset on on this question. So, okay. <laughs> and you've probably been asked this question a lot, but uh, mm -hmm. what was it like being photoed for the 2014 body issue for ESPN? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's crazy. Uh, so that whole setup. First of all. I have been a fan of the ESPN body issue since legitimately their first edition where they had like Adrian Peterson mm -hmm. and, and that was one of my brother's teammates. Oh, I know it's probably got on my brother's skin a little bit, but uh, <laughs> Serena Williams and I'm a huge Serena Williams fan, like complete huge fan. Oh, yeah. And so um, I just love seeing so many people who look like me being put on that pedestal because at times, you know, being a female, athlete you get muscles in places where it's not really considered feminine or cute or this and that and so you deal with little issues uh throughout your careers or whatever and so to see all these different athletes all these different body types even some with certain disabilities or some with like certain um tattoos or anything <laughs> uh just all being put on such a platform really really spoke volume to me and so when I got asked to be one of the 22 athletes, because they only pick 11 men, 11 women each edition, uh, I was, like, through the roof. Like, I was so excited about that. And my mom <laughs> was a complete supporter. My agent, she was a complete supporter of it. And then when I got to, you know, set, and I'm like, okay, this is real. Like, I have to be completely nude in front of, like, 20-something people on set. Right. But honestly... It was the most comfortable, one of the most comfortable times I've ever been in front of the camera, which is crazy because I was completely naked. But it was just like the energy, the vibe in that place. And we did it in, I think, in Connecticut, in like a private airplane hangar. So they kind of shut down the whole building. But then every now and then, I think it was like they were radioing each other. You see like little propeller planes kind of driving by and they're like, oh, cover up, cover up. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and that was funny. But um, I think like the more different scenes we did and the different sets, I got more and more comfortable. So by the time they picked the shot that we did the shots that they actually ended up using, um, I was completely comfortable and dedicated and trying to give as much energy as I could. Cause I take, you know, I take pride in myself and, and to have that type of uh, platform was big for me. So I was excited to showcase it. I was trying to give it everything I had so it didn't, I didn't look crazy out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, makes, yeah. it makes sense because athletes like yourself and Serena and all the elite athletes, I mean, you guys put so much time and energy into your bodies to, to be the yeah. elite athletes. So, you know what? To show it off is, is, is cool, you know? And... <laughs> 
So, so we, as the audience, thank you for doing that. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Awesome. Yeah, I still look to those in the, and now, and I'm like, I was really out here, like, <laughs> completely naked, but it was so fun. I'm so proud of those pictures, except for, like, when people don't know, then I have to kind of give them a disclaimer before they go Googling anything and see just my butt <laughs> in the <laughs> images search. But, uh, yeah, it was an honor for me. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Asia, man, thank you so much. It's uh, it's really nice yeah. to, to get into your, you know, to learn about your mindset, to learn about your sport. And I know mm -hmm. that we and myself are going to be pulling for you next year at the 2018 Oh, Olympics. thank you. So. Thank you so much. That means a lot to me. You bet. I really appreciate it. Yes, yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me.